Welcome to another episode of Indiana Politics. I'm Deb Chubb, and we are just delighted today to be with Karen Francisco, who is the editor of the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette editorial page. And we are going to talk about the 2021 legislative session. So Karen is well-informed and manages the editorial page and so has lots of reference uh, references to other great writers uh, among the uh, people in Fort Wayne and herself to talk about these issues. So today I really want to talk about, um, I want to talk about 1005, the education bill, and I want to talk about the permitless carry bill that's traveling through that will allow anybody to have a gun, no questions asked. Uh, and I want to talk about the wetlands bill. So let's start with the education bill. Tell us what is the you could start with like the worst. What is the worst thing <laughs> in uh, House Bill uh, 1005 for public schools? Um, well, there's a lot. That, that bill has a lot of moving parts to it. Um, and it is the one that really seems to have caught the attention of public education advocates this year, um, just because it is so sweeping. It is, it's a big ex expansion of the uh, Choice Scholarship Program, which is Indiana's voucher program that has been in effect since 2011. Um, and since that was first adopted, that voucher program has, um, it has grown <laughs> um, with lots of it, it generally when first passed was um, had some limits on it in terms of income um, and students had to have had some experience in a public school. Um, there were some ways around it, but they were fairly limited over time. Um, they have just kind of taken away the limits on how to access that program so that now more than half of the students who uh, receive vouchers have never had any experience in a public school. It, used, it, it was originally billed as an effort to allow children to escape from failing public schools. And that in itself is a very subjective, um, you know, I, they set the parameters for what constitutes a failing school and and then they ran with it um, and uh, initially it was going to be for kids to who didn't have the money for private school tuition to transfer um, it doesn't operate that way now what the state of Indiana generally is doing is if you always intended to send your child to a private parochial school, um, you can use your tax dollars to do it. And, and, you know, they did this by convincing Hoosiers of this, this concept of money follows the child as if every child in Indiana is born with this backpack full of cash um, attached to them and, and parents are the best people to decide, you know, what quality school is and they get to decide where their child goes to school. 1005 this year essentially blows off the, the income limits on this. Um, so much higher percentages of wealthy families will be able to access vouchers. And again, we there, there are a number of mechanisms in place 
um, with the scholarship, something called a scholarship granting organization. Um, if a student um, receives one of those uh, scholarships through that, they, they can enter the voucher program and then qualify for vouchers for the rest of the time they're in K through 12 school. So lots of ways to get into the program. Now moving the income limit up, families who haven't been able to access that because they simply made too much money um, will now be able to qualify for the program. So that's, that's the big concern, um, but there are other provisions in it. Um, these education savings accounts, which Indiana has, has not gotten into, I think as much because we've had so many other programs, but other states have had these education savings accounts that essentially are like a debit card and um, families will be able to say, we want to use this money on our debit card to essentially do whatever we want to do. Um, and uh, in other states, these ESAs have proven to be terribly riddled with anytime you have this large amount of public money, you're going to have these groups coming in and looking for ways to exploit people who aren't exactly sure how, what is a, a quality tutoring service, for example. Um, and I'm not sure the safeguards are really in place. There are assurances from uh, Bob Baining, the author of that bill, that there are um, safeguards on that money, but um, I'm, I'm not sure that we really can believe that, especially given, you know, the, the corruption and, and troubles we've seen with the state's virtual charter school program. The limits just don't seem to be there. And this just appears to be another way to, to hand out education dollars. And public schools understand um, that there, there is just one pot of money for public education. Um, a lot of people believe that somehow there's a separate supply of money for vouchers and charter schools. There is not. There is one pie of K through 12 funding. And the more that is made available to charter schools and to voucher schools, the less is available for the 94% of, of students, families who attend uh, traditional public schools. Yeah, I... Um... You know, I when this for the the hard thing about this topic is that this has been so long in the coming. This has been such a path. Uh, you know, I like to say the garden path down to um, private for profit religious education, uh, which is where we are really headed. And of course, you know, non union staff. Uh, that's the goal, in my opinion. And I remember when. Indiana passed the first law that said they were going to be able to send money to religious schools and that, oh, no, here's the here's the red line. No, you know, we do have this constitution that says there is a separation uh, between church and state and, you know, fed, you know, public money won't be going to religion. Well, um, and then, you know, I, you know, fell off my chair when I saw our Supreme Court said, no, no, that's OK. Uh, and, you know, the scheme at that time was that it was OK because the money wasn't going to the church. The money was going to the family, uh, the student. And so in that way, you know, if they spent it on church, well, that was that 
that wasn't the same, even though it still was public tax dollars. So, um, so all of these things that have just been chipping away at um, a public school. And uh, in my mind, it, I'm, I feel like it, you know, it's like a mystery. I'm peeling back the layers like an onion, realizing how this has been happening over the last many years. And so, uh, so it's hard to even talk about like a current bill without really acknowledging that this has been a long time plan to, you know, make public education private, uh, non-union and um, religious. So uh, it's really hard to, you know, keep that in mind uh, when you see these little things like, well, this, uh, you know, a family will have their own little savings account and, you know, they'll do a good job. So I, uh, and they'll spend it on only high quality educational materials and services. You know, I don't know, I just, you know, and it'll go to people who really don't need that help. They, they have been always on their own buying those things. Uh, we know that's one of the biggest disparities in outcomes is children who have um, you know, families who are able to take them to museums, take them to you know, concerts, uh, take them to the symphony, take them to the library, um, and parents who don't have that kind of access. So this money isn't really going to change that disparity, which is unfortunate. So, okay. So thank you though, for all of your great knowledge on this. And I wanna now uh, move to um, our next uh, bill that we wanna talk about, which is the uh, permitless, no questions asked, everybody should have a gun. Nobody should know who's entitled to a gun when you walk up to them on the street because you don't need a permit. Um, uh, I can't remember the number, that's, that's my long name for it. So tell us about this bill, where it's, you know, where it's been, where it's going and what is going to happen. Um, that's a good question. In terms of what's going to happen, I, I'm, my suspicion is it could pass this uh, session. Um, the supporters call it constitutional carry. It's in place in other states. Um, I, there are some interesting um, opponents uh, coming out. Um, just this past week, we had an editorial um, in which we quoted our uh, Republican Allen County Sheriff, Dave Gladio, um, as well as the Fort Wayne Police Chief. Um, earlier, early in the session, um, we had an editorial from um, quoting our um, Republican prosecutor, Karen Richards, who's very much opposed to the bill. Our sheriff, I, puts it pretty simply, he said, this is a tool law enforcement has um, essentially a protection that they now seem intent on taking away. When example, in a traffic stop, they will call in a, a license plate number and the dispatcher can tell them before they leave the safety of their car. Um, by the way, that's a, a permit holder. And that the, what the sheriff explained to me was, you know, that's just kind of a, you know, we always are on the alert, but when we find out that, yes, this person is licensed to carry, we know there's a good chance that whoever's behind the wheel has a, has a gun. And it's just kind of an extra, just a, an extra alert. He said, you know, we, we stand up, we sit up a little, a little taller when we know that. Um, likewise, if they get a call about a domestic violence situation at an address and they know, by the way, there's a, a permit holder um, who lives at this address, again, they know they're, they're going into a situation where there will be guns. Um, 
this would take that away. And a lot of people, a lot of law enforcement people are, are concerned about that. So um, if legislators are listening, I think, to their local law enforcement officials and, and this Indiana State Troopers Association, uh, Indiana State Police have come out against this, uh, Fraternal Order of Police, um, I've heard that the Indiana Sheriff's Association might be taking a, a stand on it. The, the state police chiefs group um, is opposed to it. Our legislators are people who like to portray themselves as very much law and order and supporting law enforcement. So that, that could be what keeps this from passing. Um, on the other hand, it's, um, it's a bill, I believe it's been introduced a number of times um, and you know, there are certainly a good number of our legislators who believe there should be no restrictions whatsoever on second amendment rights. Um, interestingly, these people have no concerns about uh, voter ID requirements. Indiana was one of the uh, first, I think we were the second in the nation to adopt a voter ID requirement. Um, in, in other words, you've got to have a license, you've got to have some kind of an ID to go and vote um, that our 15th Amendment rights uh, are guaranteed, but they don't have any problem. <laughs> they don't have any problem with that, but they do have a problem with any kind of a restriction on the Second Amendment rights, um, even though no less than Judge Scalia acknowledged in the, the Heller case that reasonable regulations on, on guns are, are acceptable. So we'll see, I don't know. I, I think this could be the session that it would happen. Um, there was also the issue of how much money, I, there's money raised from, uh, it's not a revenue neutral bill. It, the, the money from these permits went to local law enforcement for training purposes. So they've had to set aside some money in the proposed budget to make up for money that will be lost from this. Um, so there's, there's some obstacles to overcome, but I think, I think they might be intent on doing it anyway. It, right, it, there's this notion that um, we're giving people more freedom, but it does actually cost the state money um, to do it, just like in the education bill. Um, the state will have to spend money to regulate people who are getting this uh, ESA money uh, and to regulate how they're spending it. Somebody will have to check on that. Uh, so that's gonna cost money too. And of course, uh, as to the uh, constitutional rights, I, I, I like to care, compare it to my constitutional right to have an abortion. Uh, no one has a problem putting a, you know, extremely uh, rigorous restrictions on that constitutional right. Uh, and I often ask my, uh, my Second Amendment people, are you gonna stand with me um, on my constitutional right to have an abortion uh, with no restriction? And so they need to really kind of get their story straight. And you know, likewise, uh, the people who say I'm a constitutionalist um, and in the same breath say, well, but we're a religious or we're a religious government. <laughs> so um, yeah, it would be nice if they kind of get their story straight on all that, it really irritates me. <laughs> so, um, and I guess my worry about the gun bill was how does anyone know? So a police officer runs into someone and they say, and they see that they have a gun and they say, you know, do you have a permit for that? You know, well, now they don't ask that, right? Because there's no permit. 
And so one never knows if they passed a background check or anything. Um, and so, and there's no way to know that. So, um, the, you know, it just, just opens up so many possibilities yeah, for just, just crazy, crazy gun violence, which of course is already kind of um, off the chain. So, um, okay, so the last thing I wanna talk to you about is the wetlands bill. So um, uh, we are in, an, in a special panic um, because this looks like it re might really pass. And uh, I've done a lot of environmental work over the years and really understand the value and the importance of wetlands to uh, water quality. Uh, do we wanna have drinkable water in our aquifers? Well, if we do, we're going to have to make sure that runoff uh, water and precipitation uh, is properly filtered before it goes back into aquifers. So uh, this is, and wetlands are one of the greatest ways to do that. So now that we will move again to your freedom uh, as an Indiana builder to cover every square inch of the land with cement. Um, oh my gosh. So tell me more about your opinion of that bill, what you think about it and what you think will happen with that. Uh, Senate Bill 389, um, I, I think it's probably one that they thought would go through quietly, but um, the environmental community, um, which is a, a very, very much um, probably more bipartisan um, involvement in the environmental community than a lot of Indiana issues. So... I, I think there's been some interesting um, response to this that the sponsors of the bill might not have um, imagined. So we have seen tremendous uh, response in Northeast Indiana and, and we're a part of the state. Somehow we have a lot of issues with flooding <laughs> in the Fort Wayne area and uh, a lot of concerns about water quality uh, and what we're sending um, by way of the Maumee River up to Lake Erie. Um, so I, it definitely has gotten some attention in our part of the state. Um, but we've seen, I, I can't even really think of a bill that I have never seen anybody step up and say, this is why we need this bill. Um, we've heard that the Indiana Builders Association is, is a group that primarily is seeking this bill. Um, I haven't seen anyone from the Builders Association step up to claim responsibility and to say, here's why we need this. Nobody really seems to be eager, eager to defend this bill, um, which is maybe a little all the more surprising how many legislators have signed on as uh, co-sponsors, co-authors of the bill. Um, it eagerly was picked up um, on the House side so um, I, don't, I don't know what's gonna happen. Um, I don't know what they personally are hearing legislators or, or how they're weighing the response to it, but there has been strong bipartisan opposition to it. We ran a, a fascinating op-ed from Senator Beverly Gard, a, a former state Senator who truly is one of the environmental leaders in the state. Um, she's originally from, uh, represented the Greenfield area. And she was one of the authors, uh, the primary author of 
the existing Indiana wetlands law. And she writes in this piece about how much work went into that and how carefully that was that legislation was formed. Um, and she's very concerned about what's at play here. And she pins it entirely on the Builders Association. So whether or not lawmakers will will look to counsel from someone like that, I don't know. I it's uh, um, leadership in both the House and the Senate caucuses on the Republican side, um, it's pretty strongly disciplined. So, um, you know, it, they, they could keep people in line and move that bill ahead. I, I really don't know, but I, I will say I've never seen a bill that had such strong opposition um, kind of from both sides of the aisle and no one really publicly pushing it ahead. So again, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes on that. And, you know, this has been a strange session. It's the COVID restrictions and what we know about what's going on. Um, it, it's been tough to gauge, I think. I mean, pretty much what, what I've been able to observe in the legislature is, you know, through um, online watching committee hearings and listening to discussion that way. You don't, the lobbyists that um, representatives for some of these environmental groups, for example, you know, they, I, I don't think they're getting the same access and feedback to what discussions are happening that they might normally have. So it's a little bit of a question mark of what's going to happen. Well, so it sounds like, yeah, something is happening behind the scenes and uh, somebody's putting some kind of street secret pressure on, on Republicans. And of course, when this bill first came up, there was discussion about um, the uh, conflict of interest of the authors who I, I can't even remember right now. Uh, and so of course that makes me wonder if uh, those uh, same legislators are able to push people um, based on their own you know, profit margin, which is uh, just unfortunate. So uh, we've seen that a lot, um, you know, certainly in the attorney general's office and um, among other legislators. So, all right, so we're almost out of time, but I wanna thank you so much. And I, I would love to just ask you, so um, any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share before we go? Well, I certainly wish Hoosiers would spend a little more time um, keeping an eye on the state house. I think there is a tendency um, to focus on Washington and what's happening there. And it really, it really happens in Indianapolis. Um, you know, we didn't talk about redistricting issues. This would have been the, this would have been the session that we needed to get something done on redistricting in terms of setting up an independent commission. Um, the people who are working to make that happen or not giving up on it. Um, they have a wonderful project. I, I know you've talked with Julia Vaughn about this. Um, they have this kind of shadow redistricting commission effort underway. And, and I think it's gonna be fascinating. They're working with Tufts University on that. And I'm really anxious to see how that comes out. But I wish there was a way that Hoosiers would begin to put the pieces together of why we have 
these bills that we just talked about, permitless carry and the voucher bill and the wetlands bill, how um, legislation that is so troublesome can get this far. And it's because of this imbalance that we have at our state house. And until we start paying attention to what's happening there and start demanding changes that give voters more authority, I think we're gonna to continue to see the sort of outlandish legislation and not the kind of compromise and give, it, give and take that we need to be seeing. So um, I, I guess that would be my hope is that people start paying more attention to what's happening in Indianapolis and at the state house. Well, that's great. And what that says to me is we need to do this again. So, um, so I hope you'll um, join me again and we can talk more about uh, what happened during this legislature. Uh, and, you know, as you mentioned, we didn't talk about a lot of stuff. We also didn't talk about all of the great bills that just didn't even get a hearing. Um, as we know in the house, um, the, or was it the Senate? I think it was um, the environmental committee didn't even meet. Uh, so, so we didn't even get to talk about that. So everything is so out of whack. It's hard to even get to, to all of the important things. So I hope you'll join me again and, uh, you know, and we'll talk more about this. So it was really great to, to talk with you. You know so much. It's really great to get people like you out there who really have just terrific knowledge about what's happening in, in Indiana. And of course, um, I promise I will pay pay for the subscription for the uh, <laughs> Journal Gazette and quit trying to cheat and, you know, get past the paywall. Because it is a we great have great game. coverage, not just on the opinion side, but we have a state full time state house uh, reporter Nikki Kelly does a tr tremendous job. She's actually the dean of the uh, state house reporters. Uh, she's been there over twenty years and does terrific work. So I want to I want to put in a little plug for Nikki as good. well. Good, good. All right, great. All right. Well then, until next time. Uh, thanks, and we will sign off. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs>